The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome to America's Web Radio. This is Ron Bachman, and you're listening to Healthcare Insight. Today I want to talk about the Supreme Court leak on the abortion case. A few weeks ago, we did a presentation of the actual questioning and answering and discussion on the abortion case that was before the Supreme Court. In the meantime now, what has happened is that there is a leak of the document, and it looks as though, at least at the first stage, five justices have decided in an early vote, a preliminary vote, to overrule and eliminate Roe v. Wade as the law of the land. And that document was written by Justice Alito. Now, that doesn't mean that Roe v. Wade has been overturned or is 100% guaranteed to be overturned, but it does give a perspective of what might happen. My understanding is that when you get into the situation, both sides will write up the document with all the arguments and explanations of how they would vote. Now, in the preliminary stage, right after the arguments were presented, Five justices apparently have signed on to eliminating it, and four uh, have not signed on to that. Now, when they finally get together for the ultimate vote, people can change sides. They could have a document that hasn't been released on the other side that says, no, we're going to uphold Roe v. Wade, but there are going to be some new restrictions or the uh, Mississippi law, the 15-week allowance uh, before uh, eliminating abortions will will be upheld. But let me read through this leaked document because I think it's so important for our audience out there to understand because so many of our audience listening in are generally aware of the issue. They have grown up, um, I think two-thirds or more of the country has grown up since 1973 and may not fully understand Roe v. Wade or the uh, connecting case called Casey. So I want to go through that again and go through this leaked document and highlight certain areas on the logic uh, if it is upheld and continues to be supported by five justices what they're really saying so that people can understand the arguments if in your neighborhood or with politicians or any other discussion just for your own sake that you fully understand what this leaked document says, and what it doesn't say. So let me read a little bit of this document from Justice Alito and quote what he says. Abortion presents a profound moral issue on which every American holds a different viewpoint. They hold sharp, conflicting views. Some believe fervently that a human person comes into being at conception and that abortion ends an innocent life. Others feel just as strongly that any regulation of abortion invades a woman's right to control her own body and prevents women from achieving full equality. Others still, in a third group, think that abortion should be allowed under some but not all circumstances, and those within this group hold a variety of views about the particular restrictions that should be imposed. So, What he begins in this document that's been leaked is talking about that is a profound moral issue, but that 
people across the country have never consolidated around one particular view, that people have very different views, that people have not accepted the Roe v. Wade, which was passed in 1973, almost 50 years ago, and they have different views. And so we don't have a unified acceptance of Roe, and it's been fought and been argued about since 1973 as to whether it should stay in the law of the land as was written or it should be modified. And in fact, we're going to talk about how a case called Casey, referred to as Casey, actually modified Roe v. Wade. But let's go back to the document and now hear a little bit more of the background that Alito is presenting, that it's a moral issue, that there's uncertainty, people feel different ways, and there's no real consensus across the country. So he says, quote again, he says, after the first 185 years after the adoption of the Constitution, each state was permitted to address this issue in accordance with the views of its citizens. Then, in 1973, this court decided Roe v. Wade, even though the Constitution makes no mention of abortion, the court held that it confers a broad right to obtain one. It did not claim that American law or common law had ever recognized such a right, and its survey of history ranged from the constitutionally irrelevant to the plainly incorrect. After cataloging a wealth of other information having no bearing on the meaning of the Constitution, the opinion concluded with a number of set rules, much like those that might be found in a statute enacted by a legislature. So let me stop there. What Alito is saying and looking back over is that the court created a right that was nowhere to be found in the Constitution. There was no mention of abortion, and there were various phrases within the Bill of Rights, some of the different Bill of Rights, that were distorted or exaggerated or used to say there is some sort of right of privacy, there is some human right contained in the Constitution, but nowhere in the Constitution is there anything about abortion. So the um, opinion of the four people who have signed on so far is that they agree that the ruling for Roe v. Wade really had no bearing in the Constitution. So what did the court do? They decided that they would set up these rules under Roe v. Wade. Under this scheme, again, going back to the document that was leaked, each trimester of pregnancy was regulated differently. But the most critical line was drawn at roughly the end of the second trimester, which at the time corresponded to the point of view at which a fetus was thought to achieve viability, that is, the ability to survive outside the womb. Although the court acknowledged that states had a legitimate interest in protecting potential life, it found that this interest could not justify any restriction on previous viability abortions. The court did not explain the basis for this line, even though abortion supporters found it hard to defend Roe's meaning. One prominent constitutional scholar wrote that he would vote for a statute very much like the one the court ended up drafting if he were a legislator, but his assessment of Roe was memorable and brutal. Roe was not constitutional law at all and gave almost no sense of an obligation to try to be. So the court then concludes in this section, at the time Roe 
30 states still prohibited abortion at all stages. In the years prior to that decision, about a third of the states had liberalized their law, but Roe abruptly ended that political process. It imposed the same highly restrictive regimen on the entire nation as it effectively struck down abortion laws in every single state. So what happened was that Roe sidetracked the the political debate that was going on in state after state about what should be allowed, what should not be allowed. And it was being created uh, in terms of abortion laws on a state-by-state basis. So eventually, there was another case that kind of modified Roe, which had the trimester every three months of a nine-month pregnancy. Every three months had certain rules as to what you can do and how you can do it and why you can do it. But then in 1992, a second case arose, and it's called the Casey case. It's actually Planned Parenthood of Southeastern Pennsylvania versus Casey. And so the court revisited uh, Roe v. Wade, but the members of the court split three different ways in the Casey um, um, justification. The two justices expressed no desire to change Roe in any way. Four others wanted to overrule the decision in its entirety. So there was, at that point, four out of nine justices wanted to overrule Roe, recognizing it had no basis in the Constitution. And the three remaining justices, who jointly signed the controlling opinion, took a third position. Their opinion did not endorse Roe's reasoning, and it even hinted that one or more of its authors might have reservations about whether the Constitution protects the right to abortion, but the opinion concluded that stare decisis, which calls for prior decisions to be followed in most instances, required adherence to what it called Roe's central holding, that a state may not constitutionally protect fetal life before viability, even if that holding was wrong. Anything less, the opinion claimed, would undermine the respect for the court and the rule of law. So, Strangely enough, Casey changed from the trimester to this viability test where viability is questionable. What is viability and what's not? And viability changes with science. It changes from fetus to fetus, from mother to mother, uh, all sorts of interpretations from doctor to doctors, whether something is viable or not. So there's a real question here as to the determination of when a case can be Uh, considered for abortion when it cannot based upon the uh, Casey uh, case. So Casey basically threw out Roe's trimester scheme and substituted a new rule under certain uh, conditions under which states were forbidden to adopt any regulation that imposed an undue burden on a woman's right to have an abortion. So now we've got another term, an undue burden. And what does that mean? The decision provided no clear guidance about the difference between a due and an undue burden. But the three justices who authored the controlling opinion called the contending sides of a national controversy to end the national division by treating the court's decision as the final settlement of the question of a constitutional right to abortion. So let's summarize what the Supreme Court has done up until this point in 2022 where they are looking more seriously with a different set of judges 
on whether or not abortion is in the constitutional and is a constitutional right. What we've heard so far is that even the justices that voted for it in 1973, even justices that have been on the Supreme Court since then and maybe are no longer like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, she said at the time and throughout the post um, uh, Roe v. Wade decision that it was a very weak decision that stood on very shaky ground, that it was more appropriately set in law by the legislature. And we've heard that over and over again because the court made this right up out of thin air. What happens when um, the public uh, grows or some new issue develops and there is a question about a right that's not in the Constitution? How is it then created for people? Well, it goes through the people's votes in the legislative process in a new amendment to the Constitution. But that's not what happened here. It was the court wholly making something up that did not exist because they could and then impose it on the people and the people have never fully accepted it or uh, considered it actual law. They've been fighting it for 50 years and now a new court has come forward and said, you know, it never really was in the Constitution. Now we're going to send it back to the states and continue the political process of determining state by state what is allowed and not allowed by the vote of the people. Let's take a quick break, and I want to come back, and I want to get into this whole issue of viability and stare decisis, which are, to me, the two most critical issues uh, that we ought to be uh, understanding as we move forward with this debate on Roe v. Wade. Be right back. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Veteran-owned, America's Web Radio would like to thank all of our incredible patrons. We wouldn't be able to do this without you. If you are not already a patron, you can help us continue to produce some of the most informative and entertaining shows on the Internet by becoming a patron. Patrons of America's Web Radio are the first to receive information about new shows and links to the latest podcast episodes. Join now and receive a free gift while supplies last. For more information and to join our family, please visit www.patreon.com slash America's Web Radio. If you have questions, contact us at gm at americaswebradio.com. And as always, thank you for listening. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the americasbroadcastnetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Web Radio and uh, Healthcare Insight. And today we are talking about the Supreme Court's case on abortion and the leak that just occurred not too long ago. The ruling is going to be made probably available in June, but it looks like five justices have signed on preliminarily to a decision to overturn uh, Roe v. Wade. Now, in this segment, I thought it might be interesting to actually hear directly from the um, judicial nominees when they were before the Judicial Committee for their appointment to the Supreme Court five female justices and what their opinions were on the Supreme Court. 
So let's listen to these, the first one being um, Justice O'Connor and what her thoughts were on Roe v. Wade as each of the nominees over the years were being uh, questioned on what their opinion was, because this has been a case for now 50 years. So Justice O'Connor was the first female on the court, and let's listen to what she thought about the decision on Roe v. Wade. My own view in the area of abortion is that I am opposed to it as a matter of birth control or otherwise. Um, The subject of abortion is a valid one, in my view, for legislative action, uh, subject to any constitutional restraints or limitations. So that was Justice Sandra Day O'Connor in her nomination process in 1981, so only eight years after Roe v. Wade, but you can tell it was still controversial or it wouldn't have come up during her confirmation process. Now, next, let's listen in 1993 from Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who's sort of the hero of liberals and females as a justice on the court. She was probably the most liberal justice we've had. Let's listen to what her confirmation hearing uh, answer was about Roe v. Wade in 1993. This is something central to a woman's life, to her dignity. It's a decision that she must make for herself. And when government controls that decision for her, she's being treated as less than a fully adult human responsible for her own choices. So now in 1993, Justice Sotomayor is going through the confirmation process And here is her answer. Again, now this is 20 years after the original decision on Roe v. Wade, and it's obviously not settled law, or the questions wouldn't continue even 20 years after the original decision by the Supreme Court. The court's decision in Planned Parenthood versus Casey reaffirmed the core holding of Roe. That is the precedent of the court and settled in terms of the holding of the court. So Justice Sotomayor thinks that Casey, the case she's referring to directly, um, supports Roe and makes it settled law. But as we know from recent events, when the justices turn over, it can be anything but settled law. So now let's hear in 2010 from Justice Kagan, who is currently sitting on the court, along with Sotomayor. I think that the continuing holdings of the court are that the woman's life and that the woman's health must be protected in any abortion regulation. So it is interesting to look back in time around each of the Supreme Court nominees and their confirmation process, because all these people um, have been on the court. Uh, Sotomayor... Kagan, and next we'll hear from uh, Amy Coney Barrett on her feelings. And she was asked in 2020 about the um, uh, Roe case. So other than these three now, Sotomayor, Kagan, and Barrett, we have a new court with also with um, Gorsuch and Kavanaugh being added to the court last few years. So we have a different set of judges 
But let's listen to the latest judge that was added, latest female judge, and that is Justice Barrett and her thoughts on, on Roe. Is Roe a super precedent? How would you define super precedent? I, I, I actually, I might have thought someday I'd be sitting in that chair. I'm not. I'm up here, so I'm asking okay, you. Okay, well, people so. use super precedent differently. Okay. The way that it's used in the scholarship and the way that I was using it in the article that you're reading from was to define cases that are so well settled that no political actors and no people seriously push for their overruling. And I'm answering a lot of questions about Roe, which I think indicates that Roe doesn't fall in that category. As Richard Fallon from Harvard said, Roe is not a super precedent because calls for its overruling have never ceased, but that doesn't mean that Roe should be overruled. Well, I hope our audience out there, like myself, find it interesting to look back in time to the continued discussion of Roe v. Wade and to Justice Barrett's comment that because she's answering questions 47 years later on the issue, it is not subtle law, so it doesn't fall into the super precedent, super sorry decisis uh, category that could never be really reviewed or doesn't make any sense to review. So I want to go back to um, uh, getting uh, some comments and explanations specifically from Ruth Bader Ginsburg because she is held up by many women as the most liberal on this issue, but she wasn't always so liberal. And in fact, even, um, uh, you know, when she was passed, when she passed away, Judge Barrett took her seat. And we know what Ruth Bader Ginsburg thought about Roe because of her own words during an interview before she passed away in uh, the interviews from 2020. So let's listen to Ruth Bader Ginsburg explain why she may not have been the most favored candidate or nominee for the Supreme Court because of her comments about Roe v. Wade. But I had uh, written a comment on Roe v. Wade, and it was not 100% um, applauding that decision. What I said was, the court had an easy target because the Texas law was the most extreme in the nation. Abortion could be had only if necessary to save the woman's life. Doesn't matter that her health would be ruined, that she was the victim of rape or incest. I thought Roe v. Wade was an easy case, and the Supreme Court could have held that most extreme law unconstitutional and put down its pen. Instead, the court wrote an opinion that made every abortion restriction in the country illegal in one fell swoop. And that was not the way that the court ordinarily operates. You know, it waits, it, it waits till the next case and the next case. Anyway, it was that, that, that some women felt that I should have been 100% in favor of Roe v. Wade, and I, because I wasn't. So Ruth Bader Ginsburg was not 100% in favor of Roe v. Wade. She thought there should have been more of an incremental approach, knocking down the Texas law, which was extreme, but instead, the court knocked down every state law and overrode that with the um, decisions and the rules and regulations of the 
the three-month periods of time the trimester uh, test that uh, Roe put in. So um, she was not in favor of Roe uh, completely. I think she liked the outcome, but she didn't like the process. Now, there's another uh, discussion I'd like to bring forward, and that is around Casey and the judge that ruled or, or the judge that presented the case uh, to the Supreme Court around Casey was surprised. And there's an interesting history there that I want you to listen to the lawyer who testified before the Supreme Court on the Casey case that actually modified Roe in 1993. Well, so in the days before Casey was argued, we were very much in the same circumstance mm-hmm. we are now, which yeah. is state legislatures in, in those days... I was in 44 states in the two years before Casey, all of whom took up abortion bills. There were about 800 anti-abortion bills introduced. Why? Because they thought the Supreme Court was prepared to overrule Roe. Same thing is happening now. The biggest, uh, at the time that Casey went to the Supreme Court, we fully expected the court to overrule Roe. And in fact, let me just be really clear, they did. In the uh, first Uh, You know, you argue a case and then the justices go back to their conference and they take an initial vote on the case. Uh, In Casey, the initial vote was five to four, uh, overruling Roe by the most extreme standard, that is adopting what we lawyers call the rational basis test, permitting states to do everything, including criminalization of abortion. Um, Justice Kennedy, at the last minute, over a month later, changed his vote when he more fully understood not only the implications of that decision, but frankly, how that affected the institutional integrity of the court. Um, And so we are now at the point where I don't think the current justices will be as brave as Justice Kennedy. Uh, I will fully predict uh, this court is prepared to overrule Roe and return the matter to the states and permit recriminalization of abortion. And why do I say that? Because they have not, uh, they've been very cavalier about stare decisis uh, since uh, Gorsuch uh, uh, has joined the court, uh, the two two latest justices. And more than anything, everybody says, but, oh, Justice Roberts, he's going to save the day, right? He was the good vote on health care reform. Justice Roberts is not going to save the day on abortion. He was very much a student of Justice Rehnquist. He was a clerk for Justice Rehnquist. He believed in Rehnquist's views on most of these issues, and it was Justice Rehnquist who wrote the opinion overruling Roe. So in my view, it's absolutely clear Roe will be overturned. So what does that mean for all of us? It means that the issue of abortion will return to the states. Currently, there are 22 states fully controlled by the Republicans, what I call trifecta states, 14 states fully controlled by the Democrats. And so it doesn't seem to me that there's actually a pro-choice majority in those 14 states. I wish there were, but I don't really think there is. In contrast, it seems to me there is an anti-choice majority in the 22 states. So at a minimum, within a year following the overturning of Roe, we're going to see 22 states in this country criminalize abortion or take such extreme measures that that means that abortion will be unavailable for women. The second thing that will happen is I think we will begin to see more attention to state legislatures and who becomes a state legislator. So for our audience, this is a really important discussion on the history of Casey 
when that was decided in 1993, um, the lawyer for Casey um, is telling us that originally the case um, went to the Supreme Court discussion and it was an overturned row. And only at the last minute was, was where one of the justices changed their decision and Roe was upheld through the Casey decision. That may very well be the case with the current um, uh, preliminary discussion that was leaked about the justices overturning uh, Roe. Now, that may or may not happen, so we won't know until the end of June, maybe the first part of July. Let's take another break, and we're going to come back and take a look at this leaked document again and the logic for stare decisis and also this viability question now that we've heard from some of the past players on uh, Roe and on Casey. Be right back. If you love classic cars, you're going to want to listen to The Classic Car Show with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello on America's Web Radio, live every Saturday at 8 a.m. Eastern at americaswebradio.com or on demand on your favorite podcast app. If you want the truth about politics, medicine, weapons, classic cars, and more, you'll want to tune in to America's Web Radio. You can listen to all of your favorite shows live at www.americaswebradio.com or on demand on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. That's www.americaswebradio.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. Welcome back to America's Web Radio. Today we are talking about the leaked document on the Supreme Court relative to abortion. But we're talking about the whole issue of the logic behind the decision that apparently is there. We don't know if that's going to be the final decision because we know that something similar to this happened in 1993 where five justices originally signed off during the debate, the abortion debate, on the, the case called Casey, that five justices back in 1993 voted originally to overturn Roe v. Wade. However, at the last second, Justice Kennedy changed his mind and upheld Roe v. Wade through the Casey case where they could have dismissed Roe v. Wade, but they said, no, we don't want to change the law. People are sort of used to it, and there was no real basis for, for Roe, but we're not going to overturn it uh, at this point in time. We also know that many of the justices that have been on the Supreme Court over the years, and certainly the most recent justices, have been asked about Roe v. Wade. So now 47, almost 50 years later, it's still a hot topic. So it can't be a precedent that is untouchable. And that was the argument made by uh, Justice uh, Barrett. Now, I want to talk about a couple of issues that came up earlier in our uh, podcast here, and that is uh, the issue of um, viability, because the issue of viability came up as an adjustment to the original trimester approach and structure that was set up by uh, the Roe decision. And keep in mind that Courts don't normally set up those kinds of details. That's usually left for the legislature. So it's very easy to look back and say, wait a second, what is the court doing about creating a right and then creating this structure around the right? 
the court is only supposed to determine whether it's constitutional or not. So clearly, the court went overboard. And now we're going to be looking at two issues, viability, and then we're going to be looking at stare decisis, and that is, do we rely on precedent so heavily that even if we make a wrong decision, uh, we stick by it? So what is viability? Well, viability uh, was a change from the original row. And remember, the original row was that each trimester was regulated differently. But the most critical line was drawn at the end of that second trimester. It said you can't have an abortion after the uh, second trimester. Because at the time when all that was structured in 1973, that was the point of viability. In other words, it was the point at which a a fetus could uh, survive outside the womb to become a full human being. Now, those of us who are pro-life believe that it is a human being in the womb, but the court was trying to make this differentiation on viability. If it's not viable, it's not a real human uh, person until it, it becomes viable. But that opinion concluded um, basically by looking at the uh, um, the Casey case, um, that stare decisis, which calls for prior decisions to be followed, uh, that it should be followed regardless, even if uh, the original holding was wrong. So this issue of viability uh, changed uh, starting in 1993. And in that case, uh, and since this case, 26 states have enacted and expressly asked the court to overrule Roe and Casey and allow states to regulate and prohibit uh, pre-viability abortions because science has changed. So we're now having children that are born very premature in this country that are, in fact, able to survive outside the womb well before that 26-week uh, period of time. And in fact, sometimes it can be down to um, 10, 12, 14, 16 weeks. It can vary depending upon the health of the mother, the health of the fetus at the time, maybe the skills of the surgeon that might be involved. So that is the whole issue. If you use viability as a test, then it's difficult to know how you determine when viability is. When can they really uh, live outside the womb until you try it and they live outside the womb? But many would want abortion uh, before then. In fact, many of the advocates for abortion, or what they like to call themselves pro-choice, which they're really pro-abortion, would want abortion right up to the moment of birth. So these late-term abortions we've seen uh, where clearly the child is viable, and in fact, some of the late-term abortions we've seen in news reports, and I'm sure our audience has read uh, these um, episodes where a child is born, they try to do a late-term abortion, but in fact, the child survives that, and then after it's born outside the womb, the doctors prevent it from getting any care, any food, any oxygen, and tries to kill the baby outside the womb. And in fact, we had a political governor of Virginia, a political statement by that governor, saying that he thinks that, this, thinks that there should be a time period after birth where the mother or the family, the doctor, decides whether or not that child should continue to live or survive. That's called infanticide in most worlds. Now, let's go to the next issue that I want to talk about, and that is stare decisis. Do we follow the process, much like 1993, 
where Casey originally was to overrule Roe, but the justices said, no, we're going to accept Roe even if it was wrongly decided and there was no real basis within the Constitution. And they followed the idea of stare decisis, maybe to an extreme, maybe to an error. So let's turn our attention to maybe one of the most important pieces of this whole national discussion about uh, Roe v. Wade, and that is uh, just because something was decided by the court at one point in time under one set of judges, um, should it stay forever? Should that be what they call stare decisis? You rely on that case forevermore, regardless of whether it was decided right or wrong. Well, there is a test that this... uh, uh, decision puts forward, that Justice Alito puts forward, that there's a five-point test to determine whether the court should, in fact, follow a case just because it was previously decided. And those five-point, that five-point test includes, one, what was the nature of the error? Two, what was the quality of the reasoning uh, for that error that might have been made? Three, what about the workability of the rules that they impose on the country? In other words, how does, how does it actually work in practice, and has it been problematic or is it clear on what the ruling really meant in the real world once it got out there for implementation? The fourth is the disruptive effect on other areas of the law. And the fifth is the absence of concrete reliance on that law. So let's take a look at each of those issues and see how Justice Alito determines whether or not the court should follow um, uh, stare decisis and leave Roe in place, because he obviously concludes it doesn't. So let's see what his arguments are around these five issues. This issue of the nature of the court's error, Justice Alito writes, An erroneous interpretation of the Constitution is always important, but some are more damaging than others. The infamous decision of Plessy versus Ferguson, as an example, was one such decision. It betrayed our commitment to equality under the law. It was egregiously wrong on the day it was decided. We moved away from this idea of Plessy versus Ferguson to true equality. That was separate but equal, and that was wrong when it was decided and needed to be overturned, or we would have a very different country today. Likewise, Roe was also egregiously wrong, but Roe's constitutional analysis was far outside the bounds of any reasonable interpretation of the various constitutional provisions to which it sort of vaguely pointed. So Alito summarizes this issue by saying Roe was on a collision course with the Constitution from the day it was decided, and Casey perpetuated its errors, rather wielding nothing but raw judicial power. The court usurped the power to address the question of profound moral and social importance that the Constitution unequivocally leaves for the people. Casey necessarily declared a winning side. Those on the losing side, those who sought to advance the state's interest in fetal life, could no longer seek to persuade their elected representatives to adopt policies consistent with their views. 
So basically the short, the court short-circuited the democratic process by closing it to a large number of Americans who dissented in any respect from Roe. Roe fanned into life an issue that was inflamed and has inflamed our national politics in general and has obscured with its smoke the selection of justices to this court in particular ever since. So it was wrongly decided, the nature of it was wrongly decided, and therefore should be overturned. Now let's turn to the second item, the quality of the reasoning. And here, Justice Alito describes it this way. Under our precedence, the quality of reasoning is a prior case of a prior case has an important bearing on whether it should be considered. Roe found that the Constitution implicitly conferred a right to obtain an abortion, but it failed to ground its decision in text, history, or precedent. It relied on an erroneous historical narrative. It devoted great attention to and presumably relied on matters that have no bearing on the meaning of the Constitution. It disregarded the fundamental difference between the precedents on which it relied and the question before the court. It concocted an elaborate set of rules, but it did not explain how this veritable code could be teased out of anything in the Constitution, the history of abortion laws, prior precedent, or any other cited source. And its most important rule that states cannot protect fetal life prior to viability was never raised by any party and has never been plausibly explained. Roe's reasoning quickly drew scathing scholarly criticism even from supporters of broad access to abortion. The Casely plurality, which we described uh, earlier in this hour, while reaffirming Roe's central holding, pointedly refrained from endorsing most of its reasoning for the abortion rights, silently abandoned Roe's erroneous historical narrative and jettisoned the trimester framework, but it replaced that scheme with an arbitrary undue burden test and relied on an exceptional version of stare decisis that, as explained before, this court had never, had never before applied and has never invoked since. Without any grounding in constitutional text, history, or precedent, it imposed on the entire country a detailed set of rules. So, what we know is that Roe was completely made up by the court, had no reason or basis for its decisions. So, let's take a quick commercial break, and we'll be back and continue with this idea of why stare decisis does not apply uh, to the uh, Roe uh, case. Uh, be right back. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Veteran-owned, America's Web Radio would like to thank all of our incredible patrons. 
we wouldn't be able to do this without you. If you are not already a patron, you can help us continue to produce some of the most informative and entertaining shows on the internet by becoming a patron. Patrons of America's Web Radio are the first to receive information about new shows and links to the latest podcast episodes. Join now and receive a free gift while supplies last. For more information and to join our family, please visit www.patreon.com slash America's Web Radio. If you have questions, contact us at gm at americaswebradio.com. And as always, thank you for listening. If you love classic cars, you're going to want to listen to the Classic Car Show with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello on America's Web Radio, live every Saturday at 8 a.m. Eastern at americaswebradio.com or on demand on your favorite podcast app. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to our final segment on this week's program, and we are talking about the Supreme Court's potential decision, the leaked document on the abortion case that is likely to overturn Roe v. Wade. We won't know until a final decision is presented and a final vote of the court is made, but we do know a number of issues, and that is that typically in Supreme Court cases and national debates, there's a lot of confusion. Lawyers are great at bringing in all sorts of arguments that kind of uh, distort and confuse the issue and make it sound more complicated than it really is. The reality is if you listen through and sort of call out all of the excess, the Decision on abortion and whether or not Roe v. Wade, which was decided in 1973, is still valid today in 2020, is actually a fairly easy decision to analyze. First of all, uh, Judge Alito's uh, draft leaked document goes through what historians have known for the last 50 years, that the original Roe v. Wade was decided without any real basis or anchor in the Constitution, that it was sort of judicial fiat that just said, this is what the law is going to be. And they outlined all sorts of details that were never appropriate for a court to put out. It was more of a legislative analysis on when you could have an abortion and when you can't. And then they changed in 1993 and changed when you can get an abortion and when you can't had different uh, perspectives. So the real issue is, do we get rid of Roe and the subsequent Casey decision that modified Roe? Do we get rid of all of that and do something different? And what would that different thing be? Well, it's not to say you can't have abortions in this country. It says leave moral issues back to the people, and each state can have their own decision. Some states will allow abortions up until the moment of birth. Other states will say you can't have any abortions. Right now, there's a mixed bag of what's going on from state to state, and that's okay in instances like this. If your state has a certain moral standard, that can be different than other states. It's how we view many things from uh, the education of our children, how we take care of our elderly, all sorts of issues around moral issues that really shouldn't be decided directly by a court. So in order to overturn Roe v. Wade, to get through this concept of stare decisis, where once a case is decided, regardless of the logic behind it, we got to get rid of it. 
We've already talked through two of the five issues that Alito lays out. The first one, the nature of the air. Clearly, the nature of the air was egregious and has a big impact and should uh, be uh, overthrown. The second one was the quality of the reasoning, and that's probably the most damaging and damning uh, discussion around Roe was the logic on which it was based. There's no constitutional logic, and the court should not have proceeded as if there was one. So the third, fourth, and fifth, which I want to wrap up this presentation with, is workability of the rules that they imposed on the country and the disruptive effect that it's had, and then the absence of real concrete reliance on that ruling. Well, on the workability side, Justice Alito writes, our precedents counsel that another important consideration in deciding whether a precedent should be overruled is whether that rule, it imposes a workable, that is, whether it can be understood and applied in a consistent and predictable manner. Well, the problems begin at the very beginning of the concept as described by Alito. He says it's that idea of an undue burden. And as Justice Scalia back in 1993 noted in the Casey dissent, determining whether a burden is due or undue is inherently standardless. There is no standard that was created in Casey that was trying to override a, a, um, a crazy um, uh, three-month ruling uh, by the original Roe case. So the Casey plurality of judges who ruled to discontinue with Roe tried to put meaning into the undue burden test by setting out three subsidiary rules. But these rules created their own problems. Of these three rules, the first is that a provision of law is invalid if its purpose or effect is to place a substantial obstacle in the path of a woman seeking an abortion before the fetus attains viability. But whether a particular obstacle qualifies as substantial is often open to reasonable debate. So again, it's rather confusing and it's not really workable because people made different decisions on what the Supreme Court set up as uh, when and how you can get an abortion. So there are other rules that were included and um, that make it even more complicated. For example, under the rule, the unnecessary health regulations that have the purpose or effect of presenting a substantial obstacle to a woman seeking an abortion impose an undue burden on the right. This rule contains no fewer than three vague terms. It includes two already discussed, undue burden and substantial obstacle, even though they are inconsistent. And it adds a third ambiguous term, which refers to unnecessary health regulations. The term unnecessary has a range of meanings from essential to merely useful. So again, the Casey ruling and determination, the court was trying to gain some clarity, but it really wasn't a very workable uh, solution. And it really needed to be changed. And what the current Supreme Court is saying is that it needs to be eliminated. Well, let's take a look at the fourth area, the effect on other areas of law. Roe and Casey have led to a distortion of many important but unrelated legal doctrinaires that affect, uh, provides further support for overruling those decisions. Members of this court have repeatedly lamented that no legal rule or doctrine is safe from ad hoc nullification 
by the court when an occasion for its application arises in a case involving state regulation of abortion. So it's gotten to be very confusing on the standpoint of it's disrupting other cases. The court's abortion cases have diluted the strict standard for factual constitutional challenges. They have ignored, ignored the court's third-party standing doctrine. They have disregarded standard uh, principles. They have flouted the ordinary rules on the severability of constitutional provisions, as well as the rule that s- statutes should be read where possible to avoid unconstitutionality, and they have distorted the First Amendment doctrines. So clearly, it's been disruptive in other areas of law, specifically around cases related to uh, abortions. So now let's go forward here, and let's see if we can talk further about this last issue. And this last issue is about the absence of concrete reliance. And the absence of concrete reliance, it gets to the issue of whether or not there is really a sound basis. In other words, the reliance of interest, the last, and Justice Alito writes, uh, we last considered whether over, overruling Roe and Casey will upend substantial reliance interests. Um, but traditional reliance interests arise when advanced planning of great precision is most obviously a necessity. In Casey, a controlling opinion concluded that those traditional reliance interests were not implicated because getting an abortion is generally unplanned activity and reproductive planning could take virtually immediate account of any sudden restoration of state authority to ban abortions. So in other words, the court made decisions in Casey that changed Roe, and that wasn't considered uh, to have uh, stated that Roe was relied on by so many people in the way it was done that Casey couldn't immediately come in and change the rules. Well, again, here, getting rid of Roe entirely just gives people different options. It doesn't mean that people can't have abortions. It goes to the state. If they can't get in their state, they might be able to go to another state. I'm sure that there will be organizations developed which will carry busloads of people from one state to another state and will give them housing and food and lodging and recovery time. That is just the nature of what happens in this country when people are intent on getting an abortion and there are nonprofits who believe that abortions should be uh, available and legal and, and out there. So there's not an issue that this is going to disrupt people because they have been so reliant on Roe that they can't go another avenue should the court make this ultimate decision of getting rid of Roe. Okay, so Roe doesn't meet any of the five criteria, and I think Alito really nailed it in all five areas that Roe fails to stand up to the requirements of what would be necessary and appropriate to be standing law that's not challengeable. It clearly is, and clearly the conclusion of Alito and five justices, uh, at least as of February, uh, were in agreement that Roe needs to be overturned. Not that abortions are going to be illegal in this country, but that each state will make those kinds of appropriate decisions. So as we move through this final um, analysis here, I want to say that, um, quote again from Alito's sort of summary, and say that neither uh, Roe or Casey says, neither decision has ended the debate 
over the issue of a constitutional right to obtain an abortion. Indeed, in this case, 26 states expressly asked us to overrule Roe and Casey and to return the issue of abortion to the people and their elected representatives. This court's inability to end the debate on the issue should not have been surprising. This court cannot bring about the permanent resolution of a rancorous national controversy simply by dictating a settlement and telling people to move on. Whatever influence the court may have had on public attitudes must stem from the strength of our opinions, not an attempt to exercise raw judicial power. We do not pretend to know how our political system or society will respond to today's decision overruling Roe and Casey. Remember, he says today's decision, but this is a preliminary. And even if we could foresee what will happen, we should have no authority to let that knowledge influence our decision. We can only do our job, which is to interpret the law, apply longstanding principles of stare decisis, and decide this case accordingly. We therefore hold that the Constitution does not confer a right to abortion. Rowan Casey must be overruled, and the authority to regulate abortion must be returned to the people and their elected representatives. So for our audience out there, these are the facts, the details, the explanations of why Roe might be overturned. But we won't know until the final decision is made. This is either going to be a major change announced in June, July period, or it's going to be another situation like Casey, where at the last minute, judges change their mind. And in fact, Roe will continue to be the law of the land and all the confusions that go with us. Well, join us next week as we will, again, delve into more topics affecting you, our government, our domestic policy, our foreign policy, and anything else I can think of. So come back and join us next week, and I think we'll learn a lot together. Thank you. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.